Chapter 23 Ninanaba and Hushkehilnaba Hope in a Visit It had been nearly two months since Ninanaba and her family had been forced to walk to Fort Sumner. Through an interpreter, the Nabehu leaders were reminded they had become prisoners of war. You have become prisoners of war. Seven times you have made an agreement with the federal government. Papers, treaties have been drawn up with your promises. You promised to put down your practices of warfare, but you raided against your enemies, the Mexican people, other Indian nations who live near the lands you called your own. And because you broke your promises, you have been forced to walk here as a group. How many times does the federal government have to beg you to stop? You have been told not to raid. How many times do you have to make agreements with the federal government? From here on, you will put down your warrior ways and walk into peace, and you will learn how to work the cornfield. You will make working in the cornfield your work. Once you learn to harvest your own food, you will not need to steal from other people anymore. Hashkehilnapa and other leaders could not believe their ears. They raided to get their women and children back the ones who had been kidnapped by the enemy. The kind Nabeho leader had three of his children captured by the enemy. Was he supposed to just watch them be kidnapped and tortured? Absolutely not. Why were the soldiers accusing them of raiding their enemy's cornfields? They knew how to grow corn, squash, potatoes, onions, and beans. That was how their leadership system was organized. It was organized around the planting of the corn. That was the reason the peace leaders led in the spring and summer, to make sure the Nabehu people maintained the health of the Da'ak'eh. Their Da'ak'eh was thought of as an elder. Not one person among them would neglect their elder. The people were confused. The interpreter continued, A 
While you are here as prisoners of war, you will obey at all times. Don't misbehave toward the soldiers of the federal government. Don't make it difficult for the soldiers of the federal government. Don't try to escape. There are many of your enemies who create warfare near your settlement, and they run on their plunder trails which are near here. Although they, your enemies, steal from you and raid your settlements, do not go after them in warfare. You have done that in the past. That is why you have been made prisoners of war here. Your enemies are extremely dangerous. Without warning, your enemies pass this way in warfare to kidnap your women and your children. When your enemies do this, do not go after your wives and children in warfare. Absolutely not. When that happens to you, tell the soldiers about it. Let the soldiers make war against your enemies. Make sure of it. Hashkeh Yilnapa and the leaders were confused by the next bit of information that was shared with them by the interpreter. The leaders were told to keep their people under control. The interpreter told the Nabehu leaders to tell the Nabehu women that they could not try to get the attention of the raiders who were in the vicinity. Several Nabehu women had been kidnapped because they were careless. They drew attention to themselves, causing the raiders to notice them and kidnap them. The interpreters also told the Nabehu men not to parade their children in front of the enemy warriors, just so they would have an excuse to exercise their warrior skills against the raiders that came near. Navajo children had been kidnapped because their fathers were using their children to get the attention of the raiders. Once the raiders noticed the children, they found the children to be easy prey. The raiders stole the children, and the Nabehu warriors followed, just so they could make war with their enemy raiders. The soldiers knew the Nabehu warriors too well, they were told. Not being able to keep silent, Hashkeh Yilnapa asked, Nihik 
Hreida Bajay at Denigi Eya Akudadonil, who would just watch their little one being taken captive? Absolutely not. I suffered greatly when two of my daughters were kidnapped. My wife and I endured heavy grief for over four and a half years. Whoever accused us of that is lying and must not have a heart that cares. Only a person without a heart will accuse us of that. Although the Nabeho men told the soldiers it was because they wanted to get their children back, the soldiers knew it was the Nabeho who used their children to lure the enemies into the act of kidnapping. The children having been kidnapped gave the Nabeho warriors a reason to go back to their old raiding practices. The interpreter retaliated by saying, Washington they know about your dishonest ways. Don't try to start using those war tactics here. The soldiers shot the Navajo warriors who did that. The Navajo warriors made the soldiers mad. Obey! You are being cared for nicely here. How could you not be thankful for that? The Nabeho leaders returned to the camps of their people. They were too embarrassed to tell their people what they had been told. They knew their people were just trying to survive the harsh elements, the hunger, and the loneliness for their people who died, and their loneliness for their land between the four sacred mountains. Nevertheless, they gave their people the sad information because scouts were sent to follow each leader to make sure the leader told their people what the soldiers wanted them to know. When the scouts left, Hashkeh Yilnapa apologized to his people. He apologized to the women who were just trying to make sure their little ones survived such devastating conditions. Hashkeh Yilnapa apologized to his young warriors for telling them they used their children to lure the enemies close. In identifying their enemies, Hashkeh Yilnapa said, Di yet nihye anna it akwa ebil keda huit Kad yet nihye anna it chin Dohak az dohat do do acha doch anna tchitan hiyolni we are living right here among our enemies. Our enemies are hunger, cold, heat, hunger for mutton, and extreme loneliness, which are about to kill us. The women were too upset to say much. All they could say was, Ya Dashiba 
What are they talking about? The soldiers are the ones who are running around after us. They are the ones who have raped and tortured our daughters. Our daughters are pregnant for the soldiers. What are we going to do with the babies when our daughters give birth to them? What incredible liars they are. They, the soldiers, are the ones who have tortured our children. Our children did not do anything to them to deserve the torturous treatment. The Nabehua people could not believe the lies of the soldiers and the interpreters. The men would not hurt their children, nor would the women do anything to place their husbands and sons in danger. The Nabehua people were just trying to survive. It was sad. Everyone under Hashkehilnapa's leadership was sad. The Nabehua people began to distrust every intention of the soldiers. They knew they were liars who would place the blame on others to justify their reason for keeping the Nabehua people at Fort Sumner. Hashkehilnapa reminded his people that the only ones they could trust were one another. Help one another to survive. Don't depend upon the soldiers. Cheer up one another. Don't eat our enemy's food. Do what you have been doing previously by putting it elsewhere. Hashkehilnapa was talking about his people, placing the food the soldiers gave them in the water to be washed away. Don't eat the soldiers' food. If you do, you will be mad like them, and you will lie just like them.
einasko nape hotan glinigi benige hotel zendo lel nehata alchen benache hata inil nido lel ado naha alchen bich ata hosho kehe dat shako bich in dahui nado bich anta has eko yini na dacha it is best that we obtain our own food the federal government's soldiers hate us. They want us to die so they can have our land. That is the reason we have been chased off of our land. They are very greedily hungry for land. We will not all be killed here. If we take care of one another, we will survive destitute times. I am telling you the truth. We will return to our own land. Treat your children well by caring for them. They are the way we will be known as Navajo people in the future. Let us obtain hope through our children. Don't scold your children. When they cry, they are crying because they are suffering and they are having it difficult. Nihizani danlinigi astoyego baatahosya. Adot obik in danos ne, hajo kopich in yatal tie, nihijik dal joleko, a denosengo, bitch in yatal tie. Take very good care of your wives, don't ignore them, speak to them in a nice way, make sure your voices are soft when you speak to them. Hashkehilnapa looked for his beautiful Nananaba, their eyes met and a message passed between them. Ninanabat knew her husband was a good father. She knew her husband was a good leader. She knew he cared and loved his people very deeply. She knew how much pain he felt when he told his people to care for their children. He was a good husband who thought of her safety first and the safety of their children. Nenanabat knew she was truly blessed. Even in this forbidden place, she was blessed. Many Nabehua men were told to keep themselves busy making adobe bricks to be used when more buildings were needed at Fort Sumner. Hashkehishnapa and his men had been assigned to make adobe bricks for several days. Hashkehishnapa told the Nabehu men to make additional bricks to build a windbreak for their own hovels, the hole in the ground they called home. His men used a few bricks along with mud and sticks and leaves to create solid walls to use as a windbreak for their camping areas. They were not comfortable making their makeshift homes using bricks that the enemy used for their own homes. The weather was turning cold, so Hashkehishnapa decided to fortify the walls of his makeshift home. He did not want his Ninanaba and their adopted children to be exposed to the cold at night. Not wanting his people to be exposed to the cold, Hashkehishnapa also instructed his men to stay busy making the holes in the ground that they call their homes warmer for the sake of their children and their wives. One morning, Hashkehishnapa got up long before the light of dawn. 
Usually he stayed with his Nananapa to make sure she stayed warm, but this morning he felt the need to walk toward the river where he could hear the sound of the water rippling over the rocks. Even without the light of day, he knew the path because he had traveled it many times to obtain water for building the bricks. Hashkehilnapa had never ventured toward the water in the dark, mainly because he did not want to leave his Nenanaba. He stopped to listen. All he heard was the river running by. It ran lazily. He remembered that after it rained, he could hear the river when it ran swiftly, as if it was in a hurry. On most nights, the running water could be heard if he listened carefully when everyone was asleep. On other nights, he could hear the turbid water angrily make its way down the river. Hashkehilnapa knew there were some Bitsi who lived across the river. On this night, he could hear people talking. It sounded like Nabehu being spoken, but the words ran together, and they were spoken as if someone was in an extreme hurry as they spoke. He could see an occasional fire across the river. He wondered if the people across the river were suffering the same way his people were suffering. His mind returned to the purpose for which he came to the river. He sat down on the river's bank and began singing. The air was heavy with the cold. After he filled his lungs with the cold air, he began to sing the song he used to sing to his children when they were young. Hot tears were cooled down as they swiftly made their way down his face. The faces of each of his children came out of the closets of his memory. When he finished his song, he began to pray for each of his children. He prayed for Ded Yajanas Ba and Nahatahyanapa and Zanapa and Egonapa. He began to sing again. He sang his prayer. Hashkehilnapa smiled, a sad smile because the names of his children fit right into the melody of the song he was singing. He also said a prayer and sang a song for his beautiful Nenanapa and their adopted children. Tears freely flowed to create a river of their own down the face of Hashkehilnapa. All of a sudden, Hashkehilnapa heard the water splash. He sensed the presence of another person. Not knowing whether it was one of his warriors or an enemy, he stood up and held his breath to sharpen his sense of hearing. He heard a man say, Yat'eh, greetings, in a voice that was not familiar to him. Darkness still had control over the pre-dawn morning. So as not to disturb the heavy cold air, Hashkehilnapa slowly wiped his tears away from his eyes so he could focus upon the person whose voice he heard. Once again, Ya'at'eh, greetings, was heard in the air. Hashkehilnapa remained silent. He was aware that the enemy used the language of their adversaries as a war tactic to bring the enemy closer. It seemed the voice came from someone who was standing between the river and Hashkehilnapa. 
A question spoken by a hoarse voice was heard. Where did you live when you lived on Navajo land? There was still uncertainty in the mind of Hashkehilnapa. He wondered if the enemy could speak the Nabeho language this well. The voice continued. We are from the base of Black Mesa. Hashkehilnapa's ears began to ring. I am with some boys. We were never captured. We also are not prisoners of war. We dress like the Mexican people, and the Mexican language was placed in our mouths, and we use those to help our Navajo people. We work for a Mexican man. We take care of his livestock. Hashkehilnapa did not know if there were additional men who were there with the man who was speaking, it could be that their enemies were holding this Nabeho hostage, telling him what to say. Hashkehilnapa remained silent. He did not let anyone at his camp know where he was going, and he regretted that. He decided to wait and listen longer. The voice continued. We sneaked away because we heard our people were experiencing famine conditions, so we wanted to check up on our people. The Mexican man we work for does not know. There are several of us who are Navajo who work there. We follow a man who is Nabejo, and we say we are Mexican, and we work for a Mexican. Hashkehilnapa took a chance and said, On our Navajo land, whose home are you from? The voice answered by telling Hashkehilnapa whose home they were originally from. Hashkehilnapa's ears were ringing again. He knew the people the voice named. The voice asked, for a name for the person he was speaking to. Hashkehilnapa named his late father's name. With that little bit of information spoken, the voice disappeared. Hashkehilnapa could hear the splash of the water when the voice slid into the water. Hajishinia, where did you go? he asked the voice. Only silence and the rippling of the water over the rocks could be heard. Hashkehilnapa wondered 
if he dreamed about someone talking to him in his own language. He wondered if his mind was so traumatized that he was beginning to imagine things. Hashkehilnapa looked toward the eastern direction and began to pray. He prayed for his children and his wife and his adopted children and his people, as well as all the Nabehu people. When Hashkehilnapa lifted his eyes to the eastern horizon once again, he could see the faint light of dawn stretching forth across the dark early morning sky. After splashing water on his face, Hashkehilnapa was preparing to get up and return to his camp when he felt something near the place where he was kneeling. In the dim morning light, he inspected it. It was something wrapped in cloth. Hashkehilnapa sniffed the package, and it smelled like fresh mutton. He returned to his camp and set the package down and told his men to inspect the meat. It was the leg of a sheep. His men became very excited and asked from where he had obtained the sheep's leg. Hashkehilnapa told his men he expected confidentiality regarding the package. Each man gave his word. He warned the men that if word got out to other Nabehu camps, the people would demand to know how Hashkehilnapa and his people had fresh mutton when no one else did. He also told his men they would share the meat with the women and the children first. Then they could have what was left over. Everyone agreed. The men could be heard telling their children to wake up that the sun was up and they needed to be up before the sun came up. Get up, my children. Get up. The sun will count you along with the dead, the men could be heard telling their children. Children began to cry out of hunger. They wanted to stay asleep to remain oblivious to their hunger. Hashkehilnapa built a fire with the few sticks he brought back from his visit with the voice. He decided the men would cook the meat. If they allowed the women to cook it, there would be many questions asked, and it was best to avoid any questions. The women were warned not to tell anyone about the meat they were eating because it could cause problems with the other Nabehohu camped near them, and worst yet, it would bring the soldiers close to their camping area. They would be asking questions that could not be answered, leading to trouble for Hashkehilnapa and his men. The children were told the men went hunting the night before, and that it was a successful hunt. For several mornings following the visit with the voice, Hashkehilnapa went to the same spot where he visited with the voice. Each morning he waited quietly, but no one slipped out of the water to visit with him. One pre-dawn morning, Hashkehilnapa asked his youngest son, Egonapa, to walk with him to the river bank. Their only weapon was a slingshot. Once they sat down on the soft sand, 
Hashkehilnapa began to sing. The voice returned. Only this time two voices began speaking to them. Hashkehilnapa could sense his youngest son's anxiety, so he placed his hand on his son's shoulder to calm him. Hashkehilnapa thanked the voice for the leg of the sheep. He further told the voice that the women and children could withstand more pain, suffering, and loneliness because of the comfort and kindness that was shown to them through a lake of lamb. Hashkehilnapa and his youngest son heard a choked sob. They were caught off guard. Hashkehilnapa's first thought was that one of the voices was bitten or stung by a dangerous insect or snake. Instead, a hoarse whisper was all that was heard. Sh, sh, my father, my father, once again choked sobs. The sound of the rippling water drowned out the voice so that Hashkehilnapa did not recognize the voice of the person greeting him. Who are you? asked Hashkehilnapa. Hope and dread of a cruel enemy tore at his heart. Hashkehilnapa weakly lifted a trembling hand and reached out into the darkness. It is me, my father, your oldest son, the one who goes to war around plans. The voice said hoarsely, Hashkehilnapa heard another person choking back sobs when he realized he was with his youngest son. Three bodies crashed into one another. Deep, stifled sobs could be heard. The three men held on to one another tightly. All Hashkehilnapa could say was, my son, my baby, my son, my baby, dear one, where did you fall from? We have missed you and your older sister and your younger sister, and it is killing us. I love you, my baby, my baby. Thank you for coming back to us. My children, I love you both. The three men cried together. Nahatayanapa asked his father who the third person was. Hashkehilnapa told his oldest son that his younger brother was also with him. The two sons clung to one another and cried while their father held them. Through silent sobs, Hashkehilnapa could hear his sons claim one another, saying, Greetings, my younger brother. Greetings, my older brother. 
as Kehyesnapa looked up into the still black night sky and thanked the creator that he was able to hold his oldest son. He could not wait to actually see his oldest son. Hashkehirnapa did not want to wait until the sun rose. He wanted to reach down below the eastern horizon and grab the sun and pull it into place so he could see the face of his oldest son. Once the men regained their composure, Nahatayanapa told his father that his sister Dedi was also at the fort being held as a prisoner of war along with her young son whom the Nabeho people hated. He explained that the people hated the young child because he was born for a white soldier. Hashkehyilnapa began to cry once again. He thought of his beautiful Ninanapa, who was brave and now was suffering because she missed her children so much. His oldest son asked how his mother was doing and then asked how his young wife was doing. Hashkehyilnapa told his son both women were doing well and that they would be overjoyed to hear of their pre-dawn meeting. Nahatahyanapa further explained how he had learned the Spanish language and along with several Nabeho men who were Dine'na'i, Navajos who lived near Albuquerque, he had begun working for a Mexican man who had a large ranch on which he raised cows, sheep, and horses to be supplied to the soldiers of the fort in the area. He told how they had posed as Mexicans and began working for the rancher who lived several miles from the fort. Nahatahyanapa further explained how he had been held prisoner at the first fort near Denebikeya, Navajo land, where the soldiers lived. He told of how he escaped and began following the procession that was being forced to walk to Fort Sumner. He followed because his sister and her child were being sent to Fort Sumner. He killed and provided wild game and obtained fresh water for his sister and her son so they would be able to survive as they were being forced to walk. Nahatahyanapa told his father that the young man who appeared out of the water and whom he spoke with several nights ago was one of the Nabejo men who works for the Mexican rancher. With a laugh in his voice, Nahatahyanapa told of how the young man came falling into the ranch to tell him of a man who was from Zilajin, Black Mesa, and that the man was singing on the bank of the river. Nahatahyanapa said he waited until there was a night where there was no light from the moon to come and find his young wife, his mother, his father, his brother, and his adopted siblings. The three men cried when they knew they would have to part. They kept an eye on the eastern horizon to ensure the two visitors would not be seen leaving. Nahatahyanapa gave his father and brother more fresh meat and corn flour, then slipped 
into the water and their voices became silent. Hashkehilnapa and his youngest son stumbled back into their camp. Their people were beginning to stir when Hashkehilnapa and his youngest son entered their camping area. They stopped, regained their composure, and silently walked to where Nananapa was sleeping. Hashkehilnapa knelt on the ground beside her and murmured, Nidita Shiyaja, get up, my little one. Chenzi Shiyaja, wake up, my little one. He gently reached under her warm body and helped her sit up. Ninanaba covered her cold body with her rug blanket and said, I dreamed we were at home. She looked around her and her face changed to show disdain for their current living conditions. Hashkehilnapa softly spoke into Nananabat's ear and said, Sho, Nilhashne, let me tell you something. We saw our little one, the one who goes to war around plans. That is where we are returning from. Ninanaba slumped against her husband's chest and took in a deep breath, and without warning a loud, high-pitched scream exited her mouth. With each sob, the same high-pitched scream could be heard. The people around them jumped up from the resting areas and came running up to Ninanaba. Hashkehilnapa reassured his people that Ninanaba was missing her children. The women came over and began rubbing her back. Ninanaba wanted to be alone with her husband and her son, so she asked her husband to take her away from the camp. Hashkehilnapa diverted the people's attention by letting the men know there was fresh lamb to eat along with yellow corn flour for the women to use to make bread. Everyone politely obeyed and went to their camp to wait for their daily meal or to help cook it. Hashkehilnapa took his entire family to a secluded area and told the rest of the family members the wonderful news. Ninanaba and Tsekiznazba hugged and cried together. The little adopted children also clung to Hashkehilnapa and Egunapa and cried because they were afraid Ninanaba was sick again and they did not quite understand why Ninanaba reacted as if she was in so much pain. The children were instructed not to tell anyone that the information would bring the soldiers close to their group. With big worried eyes, the adopted children swallowed hard, as if they were swallowing the information they had heard. The family waited impatiently for the next few nights. On the fourth night, the moon was hidden by thick clouds. Hashkehilnapa and Egonapa walked to the nearby river bank 
to wait for word from Nahat Ahyanapa. They sat quietly listening to the water rippling over the smooth rocks. Hashkeh Yilnapa did not see any fires across the river. He did not hear the people talking who lived across the river. It was quiet. Hashkeh Yilnapa began to sing. His voice echoed softly from across the river. Without warning, a voice was heard. They recognized the voice of Nahatahyanapa. Egonapa helped his older brother slip out of the water, and they hugged. Nahatahyanapa and Hashkehyilnapa and Egonapa began walking toward their camp. Hashkehyilnapa found Ninanapa and Tek Iznazba patiently waiting. Nahatahyanapa fell to his knees before his wife and his mother, saying, Ya'at e shema, hello, my mother. Shi'isht shema, it is me, my mother. He could not speak any more words. Heavy sobs exited both mother and son. Looking toward his young wife, Tsek Iznazba, he quietly whispered through tears, Dear one, my little one. The two young lovers were both satisfied to just look at one another as they cried, heavy tears that began to wash away the loneliness each had felt for the other. Ninanabat knew her son needed to be cleansed before they had closer contact with him, so she encouraged her daughter-in-law to look at Nahatahyanapa through her tears as she did the same. Neither woman could take her eyes off of their beautiful Nahatahyanapa. Ninanaba watched as her son turned to his new wife, the woman he had not seen in many months. He longingly allowed his eyes to feast upon his beautiful woman. He wanted so much to put his arms around her and bury his face in her hair. Hello, my little one, he said again to his young, beautiful wife. Tsek had maintained her composure until she heard her young husband's voice greeting her. Sobs exited her body and filled the air around them. They both cried and held one another with their eyes. You are beautiful, my little one, was all Nahatahyanapa could say before sobs took control of his body. Tek Iznazba closed her eyes to memorize the words of her young husband. Young husband and wife stood facing one another, communicating the love they had for one another through their eyes. As they both shed tears, their tears mingled on the ground at their feet. It was the only contact the young lovers could allow. Although Nahatahyanapa had to admire the women he loved from a distance, he felt safe. He was home. Wherever his beautiful young wife and his mother were, that was where home was. 
He wanted to sit down beside his wife and hold her tightly, but prayers had to be spoken and songs had to be sung to cleanse him. In such a desolate place, Hashkechilnapa happily sang funny songs to Ninanapa because they did not want their people to hear the young couple talking to one another about how much they missed each other. Hashkechilnapa watched the constellation up above. He did not want his son to be seen by others. When the constellation that announces the pre-dawn moved into place, Hashkechilnapa told his son the sun would be coming up soon. Nahatahinapa told his father he wanted to stay to be cleansed so he could spend time with his wife and his mother before returning to the ranch where he worked. His father got up and prayed to the Creator to thank him for taking care of his children. The Nabeho people could hear their kind leader crying as he prayed. While the men went to look for dried branches for firewood and weeds to start the fire, the women began cutting up the fresh meat Nahat Ahyanapa had brought with him. Every family was given a little piece of meat to share. The people were so thankful for the fresh meat they were given. As before, Hashkechilnapa instructed his men to feed the women and children first which they did. Once the people were fed, Hashkechilnapa called the men together and songs were sung and prayers were voiced. After what seemed like hours, Hashkechilnapa and his son returned to their camp. Nahatahinapa stayed near his father and his brother for the next few days. Ninanapa held her oldest son with her eyes, her beautiful son. Tears rolled down her face and rolled farther down her rug dress and gathered on the ground near her. Quietly she told her son to greet his wife. Her son turned to his beautiful wife. The young couple held one another tightly and shed quiet tears. Only quiet sobs could be heard now and then, mostly from the young woman whose heart had yearned for her brave husband. The full reunion of mother and son and young wife and husband was enough to sustain the Nabehu people who were under the leadership of Hashkeh Yilnapa.